everyone, and welcome to another fun-filled, exciting, extravagant episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the number one podcast for X-Men fans every Monday to go through three X-Men stories and put them on our big old list of every X-Men story ever. I'm Zach Jenkins, and for some reason, I sound like a Shock Jock radio host today. My co-host <laughs> is Adam Reck. Adam, what's up? Do you have a weird impression that you did not mean to do, but then just figured out you were doing for 30 seconds and just rolled with it <laughs> i just i don't know i thought maybe you'd just like taken an energy drink break or something like <laughs> no i was trying to get excited and like just you know put on my podcaster voice no i liked it i liked it i think anybody listening on a monday morning is going to be like yeah yeah this is an x-men monday worth living for i'm excited <laughs> <laughs> Crack if open you haven't realized this this is this is this is our podcast about X Men. <laughs> We've never introduced the show like that. What is wrong with us? Uh, we're just gonna roll with it though, because I don't want to edit very much right now. I think that's fine. Yeah, we're we're going to like every week talk about three different X Men stories, and we are going to rank them on our master list of every X Men story ever. Right now, our number one story is X Men: Days of Future Past, which is very good. Our number 81 story is X-Men Phoenix Legacy of Fire, which is the exact opposite of very good. It's very bad. So bad. Yeah. <laughs> like if we ranked all of these numerically, like scale of one to 100, how much we enjoyed them. I feel like the last like four stories on this list, there would be just a cliff going down to zero. Oh, oh, yeah. Negative, maybe. Uh, anyway, we got some really fun stuff today. Uh, kind of a mixed bag of things. So, it is a mixed uh, you want to tell them what we're talking about today? We're going to talk about three fairly recent stories, and these stories come to us. Well, one of them comes to us from Patreon supporter Katie Treggs. So, Katie, thank you very much. Super appreciate thank your you. uh, recommendation and your support. Because what Katie asked for is Uncanny X Men. Numbers 23 through 31 of the third volume of Uncanny X-Men. This is the last will and testament of Charles Xavier. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is a weird one. So this is uh, part of the Brian Michael Bendis run. And uh, for this, what is it, eight issues, art duties are alternated by Chris Anka and Chris Bachelot, who – and mm -hmm. Justin – especially with the bachelor stuff, an army of inkers and colorists. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a pretty expansive creative team. Can we, can we just take a second? Um, I just want to express our condolences to, uh, I think Chris, uh, wife just passed away recently. Um, and if, if you get a chance, I think he started a, a, a donation, um, in her name. Mm -hmm. So if you have a couple bucks and you, you want to do a solid to an artist that I think we all clearly know and love um, and help support them uh, in, a, in a good cause, I think that would be a good use of your time and your money. Yeah, ab absolutely. It's this is this is going to get real heavy before it gets light again. 
but as a like as a husband losing a spouse especially while you have kids and all that stuff is one of the most devastating things that could happen and my heart goes out to that family because that i i heard that while i was sitting at work and it rocked me for a bit it's just a, a rough situation for a guy who has brought a lot of joy to my life yeah yeah we wish them well and uh you know chris we hope we hope you're doing okay yep. um and i hope your your family's doing okay yeah um his art's really pretty all right so let yeah to, yeah as I, is chris anka anka is doing a beautiful job in these issues right right and our bad segue aside i mean it really is let's talk about uh let's talk about this story for a bit this is logistically a very odd situation so this the first three issues of this are a tie-in to original sin uh more of a thematic mm-hmm. tie-in than anything else which is something from original sin as a event that i really appreciated there's a lot of people who yeah. don't like original sin and i think it gets more hate than it deserves even though it does have its flaws having all the books have the choice between being a true tie into it or just a thematic hey we're gonna dig up some dark past i think that's an interesting choice and gives a lot of flexibility to an event i mean the core original sin book is is a real interesting mixed bag um that stars a villain with a giant eyeball oh, for yeah. a head and turns nick fury into uh Owatu, the watcher <laughs> so that's finally like it's been a least. bit in thor it's been a bit yeah. in uh the doctor strange was it doctor strange uh-huh I think so, or one of one of the maybe sorcerers, sorcerers supreme. I, I'm not sure if that's that's come up there, but uh, you know, it was an odd thing. So this as a tie-in uh, is weird, but this is also weird because you know we're. I think we mentioned this last episode. The end of Uncanny is this confluence of original sin, then Axis, and then it also has to sort of coexist with what Hickman was doing with Secret Wars. So this is a storyline that is really, I, I don't know. I almost look at this as the the capstone to Bendis's entire run on All New see, and Uncanny in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, see, it is, but it, but also it kind of didn't. That's happen. the weirdest thing about this. So, like, let's let's start from point right. A, point B, point C, all that stuff. Originally, originally, this was supposed to run from yes. Uncanny twenty three to twenty nine. And you can tell that because the cover of 29 is very obviously what's supposed to be the last cover for a series titled The Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier because it has everyone looking at The Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier. Mm -hmm. But then Axis doesn't – Axis happens and then the fallout from Axis is not taken into consideration at all. Like 31 and 32 – or 30 and 32 – Ugh, 30 and 31, excuse me, are solicited as Axis tie-ins, and they just aren't. They straight up are not Axis tie-ins. Right. Which nope. is a very odd and interesting nope. choice. I I have this Grand Unified Theory, and I know we haven't actually talked about this book much. We're going to, but first, my Grand Unified Theory on the end of Bendis' run. Yeah, I've been waiting for this. Uh, so, so lay it on me here. What, what's the what's your plan here? What's your idea? So, add like I've talked to other creators about Secret Wars, mm-hmm. and for an event that canceled an entire line of books, 
and relaunched them. Secret Wars wasn't the most planned out. It wasn't originally planned to be this Age of Apocalypse style, everything ends. Right. But it turned into that, and some good, some bad. I think in the grand scheme of things from a financial standpoint, Secret Wars might have been the most financially damaging thing that Marvel's done to the comics industry in a very long time because of some of the things that it that happened because of that. But that's a different thread altogether. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what it comes down to is Bendis didn't know when he started Last Will and Testament that he was ending his uncanny run in like 10 issues. I think he had another year at least planned after this arc. That, that wouldn't surprise me do. the least. Because I mean, this arc, again, it goes to 29 and then it should end. But it doesn't. And it goes on for a few more issues that were solicited as Axis issues. And one of two things happened. Either Bendis said, wow, guys, I think Axis is actually really bad. Like I liked the initial pitch, but in <laughs> seeing this, it I is. don't really want to tie into Oh, It's horrible. We're going to have to rank that sometime. Uh, it's going to go low. It's bad. But he either said this is not something I want or he looked at how many issues he had left and said, I'm cutting it. But that doesn't right. make sense because he then stretches out Last Will. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't fill those access issues with other stories he wants to tell. He just puts in more Last Will, which makes me think more that he said, access kind of sucks, but I don't know what to do about it. And I've kind of written myself into a bit of a corner on Last Will, so I'll just extend this out a bit, which Bendis is want to do. Hmm. Then this stuff happens and then we get a handful of – one shoddy issues that feel like they each could have been parts of arcs. Like yes. Bendis had talked on social media for a while about wanting to do a lot with Cyclops and Havoc, but he only gets the one issue. And it was supposed to be mm-hmm. more than that. I think that was part of his Axis fallout, part from what the solicits say, part because that just makes sense that that's what you'd do with Havoc. So instead of dealing with Axis Havoc, Bendis had him take a nap and said, Havoc's going to be less evil for the rest of my run. We can go back to it, but he's not going to be that bad for a while. Then, you know, at some point he realizes Secret War is happening and he says, okay, I got to knock out the rest of the stuff. So that gold ball story, he gets that out there, which we said in the last episode should have been some arcs. This Mm -hmm. whole wrap up to his Mystique story, because Mystique was one of the big villains of this uncanny X-Men stuff with everything that goes on with Dazzler. That all happens in one issue instead of what was obviously supposed to be a couple. Any of the fallout between Scott and Emma, that gets crammed into the Scott and Havoc issue. All of that was supposed to be bigger, better, and more. And you can just tell that it didn't hit. Couple that with some delays on uh, Uncanny 600 that I think initially got delayed a bit for art reasons. And then it was well enough into Secret Wars that they decided, screw this. We're going to push this out to November where after the event's over to get a few extra bucks on it. And they were able to. But I think you got to a point where about here or a little bit after this arc starts, Bendis kind of goes off the rails a bit, which is unfortunate because we've spoken on this podcast about how much we like the Bendis stuff. Yeah, I, I really do. And I like this particular arc because of the the fact that it is, you know, a lot of, I think my, my complaint about um, some of the Bendis arcs in Uncanny and, and um, in All New seem to be that there's a lot of buildup and then they seem to end very, very suddenly. Um, whereas this, I thought this read much 
better when I just went back and read it as a whole. I, I thought it read very, very well as, as let's say, a trade um, to go from beginning to end, especially with the Eva Bell stuff at the end. Whereas when I was reading this monthly, I was kind of like, oh, is this being dragged out a little bit too much? Like, what is what is this story really all about? And why is he telling it? But I think it works pretty darn well to be a, a nice exploration of where, especially where Scott is at this point in the story. If the next part of the story was supposed to be about him and Alex um, kind of butting yes. heads and then him also then going up against uh, Emma, you know, if those were the next two arcs, I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, but I don't think we've really gotten into what this story is actually about. About, well, because it's weird. Um, which is that, yeah, it, it's odd. Um, Charles Xavier has um, delivered his last will and testament to uh, She-Hulk, um, who then has to, you know, show up at the Jean Grey school, reveals that not only has Charles Xavier been married to Mystique, which we'll talk about the time paradox, I guess, in, in a second. Well, can we talk about um, how good Emma's reaction to that is? Like, Chris Anka. Oh killed <laughs> that panel is one of my favorite L, that's my that's one of my favorite things to show okay chris anka is amazing that amount of visual storytelling in one panel change next his facial level. expressions throughout this entire thing yeah i mean it's it's excellent work um but then the the core of this story is that xavier has been hiding this you know, insanely powerful mutant that just, you know, probably should be killed for the betterment of the earth. Um, but he can't bring himself to do it. And he's then said, Hey, look, I'm dead. You got to go take care of this. And the X-Men can't and they all die. <laughs> yeah. So it's really up to Eva Bell to set up a time paradox where she has to go back, convince Xavier to make it so that this guy never even is born um, spoiler, I feel like I'm, I'm spoiling this for anybody who hasn't read it, but it is core to talking about this. So if we don't, we don't address the time paradox, I feel like we're not gonna be able to talk about it successfully. Um, and so that Xavier was never married to mystique and this character never existed. So this arc technically never happened. Um, and we we're, we're starting it at, you know, square one with the first issue again, or the second issue of, of the arc, um, very interesting stuff. And I like it a lot. Um, but I'm a time travel, you know, junkie when I, I like stories like this. Um, what's your take on so, this? So there's a few things I want to talk about here. First, this feels like a expansion on an idea that Bendis had in Ultimate X-Men. I believe it's number 42, but don't quote me on that. It's a one shot about this kid who wakes up one day, finds out that he is a mutant who gives off this aura that melts people essentially it kills him he can't control it there's nothing he can do he kills his entire mm -hmm. family a good chunk of his town like just because he woke up one day and realized he was the most powerful thing in the world and the story essentially ends with wolverine going there bringing bringing the kid a couple beers and you know just the kid's hiding out in the cave wolverine walks out of the cave kid doesn't yeah it's mm -hmm. a powerful story that has some issues, but this is Bendis taking that idea and expanding it. Because in the Ultimate X-Men world, 
the X-Men could be jerks and you don't have the inertia of continuity like you have in this world. So it's an interesting amount of ideas. Execution-wise, there's some ups and downs. This story takes for friggin' ever to get going. The first yeah. two issues really, from a pacing standpoint, should be one. Now, the first issue does some nice mm-hmm. little character beats, especially with Eva and where the Jean Grey school is at the time, who hadn't been featured prominently in Bendis' run. But it's still a bit of a slog to get to the to get to the juice of this, to get to the exciting parts of it. Like that mystique reveal, if you want that to be a reveal, that should have been your end of page one or end of the first issue reveal. Not that Cyclops has to be involved because of course he does. Why else would it be a story? So mm-hmm. you get that, you get another two issues before they even go and confront uh, Matthew Malloy, who is this Omega mutant, this incredibly powerful guy. And you get some interesting stuff once that happens. Like once that confrontation starts, the last half of this arc is much better. You get Cyclops laying out in a bit, no, no un crap. What's the word I'm looking for? Uncertain terms. Thank you. <laughs> you get Cyclops laying out in no uncertain terms where he stands right now with the mutant race, with where he should be. And it's very interesting. And you get this gorgeous, I think it's three or four pages, where Chris Anka just redraws X-Men history. And it is it oh, is yeah. beautiful. You get this great stuff with Magneto and them dueling philosophies and all this. But then the arc takes another U-turn when Matthew Malloy starts killing everyone, realizing how powerful he is and killing everyone. And then Eva Bell has to go back and save the day. And there's some really interesting stuff with that. But it's just – it's a lot of good mixed with a lot of bad. And the fact that it takes, what, eight issues to wrap it all up to get us in a – you know, in a character space, we know more about these characters, but from a plot standpoint, we barely moved an inch. I can understand people's frustration mm. with that. In addition, and I know I'm being very long-winded about this, but I have a lot of feelings. A lot of feelings. That's okay. It, it gives us a lot to talk yeah. about. Yeah. In addition, the art on this is uneven. I think Chris Anka, he's expressive. He's amazing. There is some coloring that he does in this. That isn't the strongest, and I believe there's one issue where he is colored by someone else uh, near the middle of the run, and it doesn't work as well. Coloring is actually one of the things that stands out to me most in this run. As you get later in some of the Bachelor issues, there's like three different colorists, and they are vastly different. There's some guys who are doing more gradient Mm -hmm. work, some guys who are doing some really gritty, textured, detailed flats. And some guys that are kind of doing like house style art in the when it gets more gritty, more detailed, more textured, it works for Bachelot's, you know, inky kind of out there style. When you try and get gradients and you try and get this more, you know, 2000s coloring style, it does not work very well because it's like. And I, if any colorists are listening to this, I'm sure I'm getting some of these terms wrong, but it feels like a lot of sheen, a lot of like reflections, a lot of stuff that doesn't mesh well with the rest of Bachelor's style. 
And that's to the detriment of this book. Mm-hmm. That's my rant. No, but I, I think these we're definitely talking about something that has its flaws. I think what you touched upon, which was, a, I think, a real strength of the book, is that the whole thesis of this volume of Uncanny X-Men is the idea that Cyclops is going to be this revolutionary. And what I liked about this arc is that it showed how far he was willing to take it. He was willing to go truly nuclear and take this character that he knows could pretty much just destroy the earth and then say, you're going to become a team member. You're going to, you're going to join me on my team. I'm willing to take it to that. And I think that that's an interesting place to take the character. Um, It's a very different end to the book. If, if you want to say that this is like a different, um, you know, uh, splinter off of the timeline, which, which it is, um, then where uncanny X-Men 600 kind of does the, we're all in Washington TC. We're all holding hands. Kumbaya. Um, that's a, those are two very different places, right? The Eva Bell stuff in this is what makes her one of my favorite characters in X-Men because she is essential to this. Yes. She essentially says, are you yes. kidding? Guys, seriously, get your heads out of your butt. Are you serious about this? No, we're not going to do this. Yeah. This is not what you've been saying for so long. This is not the right thing. I will freaking watch you like a hawk. Cyclops, you're going to change what you're doing because you're doing the wrong thing. I've seen it happen. This doesn't end well for you. Deal with it. And it's great. And it pairs so well with the uh, – annuals that chronicle Eva's story that were coming out around the same time i believe they came out in both of them came out in between uh this arc and those all coupled Mm -hmm. together tell an incredibly fascinating story with this character who is brutally underutilized oh i mean eva bell as a character just those two annuals alone and i when we rank those they will probably do pretty well um I, I absolutely love those stories and i'm hoping that eva bell has some sort of presence because i love the idea of, sh- of her being kind of like time cop um over the x universe i think it's just a, a fun idea yeah, in general it's, it's good so there's a lot to like about this a lot that i can understand why people don't to me i think it's a yeah. set of expect people had a set of expectations for the bendis books that the books i don't think bendis was interested in those expectations we had just gotten years of cyclops being revolutionary leader whether in marketing or not that's what he was with utopia that's what he was with the extinction squad Mm -hmm. so i bendis wanted to do something a little heavier a little different and something i really liked but something that is not without its flaws so where do you think this goes okay um I do enjoy this and I do think that it is flawed and my eye is immediately going to, of all things, Battle of the Atom. Um, Yep. That's exactly where I'm looking because it (laughs) has so many of the same issues. Yeah. You know, it has so many things like when we talked about Battle of the Atom that we liked, but it also has, has you know, some of the same issues um, of things being perhaps paced differently than we may have uh, wanted it to be. I think that this is paced better than Battle of the Atom. 
I like the conclusion of this better because I, I just like Eva Bell. I also think that it's a nice payoff to those annuals um, that came out at the same time. So I would maybe put this a step ahead of that. Um, where, where are you thinking? I, I think that's fair. I think that's an incredibly fair place to put it. Because as much as I do like the Bendis run of X-Men, it is flawed. Mm-hmm. It has so many great moments interspaced with things that just don't work as well as they should. What I don't think is that this is better than that time that Santa Claus helped the <laughs> X-Men out. Like, end of the day, I'm looking at two X-Men stories. What do I want to read? This eight-issue heady character drama that takes a long time to get going and has some some of my favorite artists' weaker work. Or this little, you know, eight eight to twelve page special that has Santa Claus. So I've made my choice. I All think right. that is well, let's I do think it. It, it's at the number forty five on our list, the last will and testament of Charles Xavier. Who signed up for a twenty five minute podcast about this one thing about <laughs> the Bendis arc? <laughs> you know what though that's what makes it good it has a has a lot of great stuff to talk about i mean we didn't even get into like why chris Bacciolo uh draws dupe like this very happy little muppet or why xavier would have been married to mystique in the first place i mean there's still so much more to talk about but we should probably move on to our next story man that that i will say that's one of anka's weakest redesigns and he's an excellent design guy normally but that Dazzler look just didn't hit the way it should have. For it. All right. It didn't. Right. I think uh, uh, Ben Caldwell, I think, redesigned her with a similar aesthetic for A-Force, and it was much better. Okay. All right. Anyway, um, next story on our list. Because we've got to keep this going. Uh, yeah. This is a contemporary of that, but a weird one. Uh, oh, yeah. This is 100th Anniversary Special X-Men number one. This was written by Robin Firth with art by Jason Masters. Okay. Maybe you want to explain what you explained to me off air about why this exists. Cause I I remember reading this at the time and and being confused about what the heck it was. So what is this? (laughs) Great question. Cause if you guys, (laughs) if you guys are doing your math right now, it's not been a hundred years since anything Marvel, anything. And it definitely wasn't four years ago. So no. what happened is four years ago uh, was the 75th anniversary of Marvel Comics being a going concern. Uh, the release of Marvel Comics number one with Namor and the old Human Torch and all that. So instead of doing 75th anniversaries, Marvel Editorial had this idea to do 100th anniversaries. These are comics essentially plucked from – 25 years from the day they were made and what not necessarily 25 years in the future of the comic book characters. So it's not like old Scott Summers or anything like that. It's 25 years respective of, of publishing time in the future, which is Mm. that's a high freaking concept. (laughs) That's not explained in anything. And I just, I remember at the time when this came out, I, you know, Hey, I'm a big fan of alternate timeline, you know, alternate future, whatever. But this, this just, just does not 
ring true to me. Um, the basic premise of Scott Summers having become the president of the United States and, and then, marrying Emma like that day. Yep. That's a yep. weird uh, conflicts of events. <laughs> and it's basically like party at the White House with a cast of characters. Um, you know, all future versions of timelines are always, you know, such an indications of the, the present state of what was going on in the books. And it couldn't be more the case for this in terms of the characters that are pictured and, and what the references are supposed to be. Because they're the Bendis but, X kids with Shogo. Yeah, right. You know, there's a little bit of Battle of the Atom here. And it just, I don't know, man, this does not work for me. It's weird. So the way this thing actually works is that, is that Jean Grey decides that she doesn't like this situation and wants to, who's been living in the white hot room is the Phoenix and decides to screw with Cyclops's newfound fame, make mutants who had just gotten their biggest win ever of being the president, make them hated and feared all over again and increase anti-mutant sentiment and essentially reset things. And this is like a 20 page one, one shot and it has to establish a universe, but make it feel like it's a universe that doesn't need established set up this new status quo, get rid of this new status quo, and never follow up on it. It is – people often talk about comics as perpetual act two storytelling. It is all conflict. The setup's already happened. The resolution can never happen on the long term just based on the nature of the stories that you're telling. So you're always just perpetuating conflict, conflict, conflict. And this is that without any freaking context – at all. This is like this is if they wanted you to pull a comic out of night or 2061 or whatever it is and just say, hey, what's going on with comics at this point? Yeah, they freaking got it. Cause I don't know what's going on. And if I as an X-Men expert can't figure out what's going on in an X-Men comic, it must be from the future, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, the basic premise of of the Phoenix showing up, disintegrating Emma, Cyclops getting like really paranoid that he's the only one that remembers his wife. And then by the end of the issue, being very excited to have won back Jean Grey, uh, you know, that 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 the Phoenix is both the adversary and the, the princess prize at the end of this issue. That just does not make sense. No, it really um, doesn't. No, um, you know, and it, it, it tries to do the whole like uh, the beginning question mark at the end. And it's like, yeah, I don't ever want to revisit this particular universe or find out what happens next, because what was that? That was unpleasant. No, It was weird. I'll tell you what it reminded me of as I reread it is there's a series called Marvel Comics colon X-Men number one. And what it was, they did a whole series of these for like Captain America and the Avengers and all this stuff. It was just a one shot. But it was the, – the pitch was this is a Marvel comic printed in the Marvel universe. So it is what Marvel comics of the 616 would print, not necessarily what Marvel hmm. comics prints. So it is the word of the X-Men as viewed – like it's an X-Men comic – 
viewed from the world of the X-Men being a real thing and being hated and feared. And it's incredibly confusing to read without context, deeply interesting, if not good, to read with context. And the key difference is, like, I didn't understand what was going on in that story as much as I didn't understand what was going on in this story. But this doesn't – this 100th anniversary doesn't actually tell a full story at all where that one shot from 2000 tried to at least. Well, I think what you're describing is sort of a you know a meta commentary premise that I don't think this tries to set no. up at all. You know, like if you weren't aware of the solicits for this, where they might have explained why this is the hundredth, you know, hundredth whatever, uh, you're just going to pick this up and go, "What?" Well, this is the <laughs> solicit. This? this is the solicit. Have the X Men of 2061 achieved Xavier's dream of humans and mutants living in harmony, or will there always be a need for the X Men? That doesn't tell me anything. You had to be paying attention to nope. articles being written about this and promotional stuff. You have to be a vested comics fan to pick up what should be a celebration and an entry point for people. It is nuts. Yeah. It's very bad. I do not believe that Robin Firth, who's might be a very nice person, all things considered. I've never met them. I don't believe they ever wrote other stuff for Marvel. Oh, no, they did. They wrote... A bunch of Stephen King adaptations. The they stand? wrote a lot of the no. They wrote a lot of Dark Tower. Or that that's what I was gonna. I'm sorry. I meant to say Dark Tower. Okay. All right. Hey. Yeah. It, it's it, not good. This this is bad, and everyone okay. involved should feel bad that it exists. <laughs> well, it is. It's nuts. Part. I actually. I don't think they need to feel bad. It just. It's not. It's not good. So well, I actually, how far? One quick anecdote on this, and I'm sure she won't mind. I actually uh, reached out to Christina Strain about this. Uh, one because Ben Deeds is given a code name in here in uh, Amity, which is it's fine. It's whatever. She said that he would hate it. So that's canon. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of little things like that that don't make sense. Yeah. Uh, it was a whole weird thing. She got very defensive of Shogo. It was great. I don't know anyone who wouldn't be defensive of Shogo because he is a beautiful sunflower. Yeah. Yeah. Where should we rank right. this garbage comic? I'm going low here, man. Um, I'm looking down in the in the high 70s. Um, uh, it's worse than stairs. Oh, I'm, I'm going lower than stairs. I'm looking down by like X Factor 1 to 6. I mean, I'm not going to ever read this again. And <laughs> I've read it like four times in my life and it's too many. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's a one um, shot. I keep thinking it's going to be different. I don't know why. No. I want it to be better than it is. Yeah, I, I, I will say I, I kind of like the art. I think the art is is pretty solid in it. Yeah. So it's it's got that going for it. But, um, you know, it's just kind of a meaningless story. I, I think that X Factor 1 through 6 is better, even though X Factor is very yes. dumb. That yes. X Force, the Shatterstar saga, is equally as incoherent as this. <laughs> But I, I may have been more entertained by that, though, especially just by the mystifying switch to anime two thirds yes. of the way through, even though it had no conclusion. Yes. Um, but I I don't know if it's yeah, I ahead. don't know if it's better or worse than Eve of Destruction. I don't think this made me as angry as Eve of Destruction. 
I, I, you know, like Eve of Destruction hangs out for much too long. But hold on. Eve of Destruction does have that really fun sewer scene with uh, Wolverine and, and Cyclops. I have better so, memories of Eve of Destruction. Also, I'm going to yeah. full disclosure. There is a comic about Eve of Destruction in the uh, Xavier Files zine, which I think has already come out in your guys' world. Oh, nice. So copies should be shipping. And that's made me like the comic more. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I, I'll give it this. I don't think it's as bad as God Loves Man Kills, too. Oh, man, that comic is bad. Yeah, I think that's worse. So I think this is probably our new 81. This is our new number 81. I'm just going to call it the X-Men go. 100th anniversary special, which is going to be very confusing in several years. Yeah. As this podcast has gone on for 40 plus years, I'm sure we will all agree <laughs> that we made a mistake in calling <laughs> X-Men 40th anniversary special. We'll be like, wow, this really works so well. This is this is exactly like what's been going on. <laughs> How'd they do that? Okay. All right. We're running late and we've let's finish on a higher. We note do. Here. Uh we're finishing on X-Men Legacy number three hundred. This is a story called Forget mm. Me Not. Cy Spurrier. Cy Spurrier, Mike Carey, My man. Christos Gage, with pencils by Taneng Hutt. Steve Kuth, or Kurth, and Rafa Sandoval. This is a really good, like, oversized one-shot. Oh, this is so this good. Is really this is good. so good. Hey, look, before we get into this, can I just ask, this is somewhat related. Are you getting excited for Legion seri- uh, Season 2? I am. Like, you so, must be getting pretty excited. I am. Right? Sadly, Legion Quest, which was the other podcast I was doing, we're putting on an indefinite hiatus because... Frankly, I you got like a one day window to record and get an episode up before you're That's irrelevant. Yeah, I can't yeah. do that anymore. I've got too much other stuff going on. I mean, so I am really excited to watch Legion. Like, just as someone who gets to watch an episode and not take notes, that'll be fun. There you go. Yeah. Um, I just I bring it up because I feel like that show was so heavily influenced by Cy Spurrier. Oh, yeah. Um. I think his run on X-Men Legacy, I absolutely love his X-Force stuff. Um, It just really, really is is so creative and weird. And this just comes out of nowhere. This absolutely bizarre story that's also kind of, um, you know, commenting a little bit uh, of an anniversary issue, like what an anniversary issue should be. Oh, yeah. it's it's really smart in the way that it's put so together. The, it, it plays um, with a concept that almost always fails, which is, mm-hmm. hey, it's the secret character that's been here the whole time in all of your favorite stories. With Forget Me Not, yep. who is a mutant whose power is to be forgotten the moment that you're not paying attention to him, which is oh, brilliant. Like, look, we're over here playing checkers. Cy Spurrier is <laughs> playing inner galactic glarg ball he's on a (laughs) completely different level than anyone else and it's constantly great Sai size one of the Mm -hmm. best high concept guys in in the business he if he gets a break on a big book he will be like the next grant morrison it's it's shocking how good size spurrier is 
Oh, I feel like he's very underappreciated. Um, Incredibly underappreciated. This concept alone is just such a a brilliant and smart thing. And the fact that he was able to bring this character back on a second occasion is just mind-blowing to me. Um, But just as a standalone issue, this idea of toying with what you were just describing, you know, uh, oh, the character you've never met. So we get to explore all the flashbacks. But Well, do you know when it's worked? Do you know when that, that concept has worked? Because it didn't work when DC did it with Triumph. It didn't work when the Century was done. It no. didn't really work with uh, v- this uh, Valeria Vector or whatever in uh, in this current Avengers stuff. And it super didn't work with New Cypher in Young X-Men. Hmm. I don't it think this here. is – Yeah, Forget-Me-Not's the only time that I said, no, I buy all of this. This makes perfect sense. Because Forget-Me-Not is both in every story that's happened for the you know since roughly the morrison era and then at the same time he's not and he doesn't impact any of it Mm. and it's this brilliant brilliant use of this concept and i absolutely love it it's it's deep it has this weird meta textual quality to everything that he's describing and it's hopeful like this this comic ends with forget me not saying yeah I'm in a pretty crappy situation, but my life could be a lot worse. I'm frankly pretty happy with my life. Like <laughs> I get to do good stuff. It's well, sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Cause the, the a plot here is that there is, uh, um, is she immune? I think she's immune. <laughs> um, trying to break into the Jean gray school. I believe um, she's just disfigured. Like, Oh, okay. Okay. She, she's not even a mutant. She, uh, there, there. She was a. She was attacked. Was she attacked. By, she, was, she was. She attacked, was attacked. Right? Like there's. She. There was an attempted rape thing, and Ooh. I think the story could lose that and hmm. be fine. But it's not a. It's not a deep lingering thing. It's she. She's attacked. She was disfigured. Yeah. So you know we've we've got this uh, character introduced and also an absolutely brilliant idea which I don't think has ever been revisited is this idea of Shi'ar technology sucking someone into the building as a defense strategy. Um, And forget me not is able to swap himself out and be forgotten by the system and still continue to exist. So just that alone, that piece is so rich and, and strange and, and full of great ideas. But then the flashbacks are also each individually very cool um, you get some some dips into continuity that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And uh, he, he is established as this very tragic figure because even when he's given an opportunity to lose his powers so that he can become more of a, a you know, a, just a regular person that people could remember, he can't even accomplish that because the person who's agreed to do it forgets he's there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It lets you highlight some of the cool moments of x-men legacy like uh the mike carey gets to revisit age of x which i've talked to him and i know that he absolutely loves that world you get christos mm-hmm. gage doing some stuff with uh mimic and uh the omega mutant uh omega yeah. i guess who is a character characters that he really liked in his run and you get side doing this nice interesting story that touches on a lot of the thoughts of his legacy run, like Legion 
David Haller is not in this story at all. He's not even mentioned because he had written himself out of existence. But this is the perfect emotional and thematic capstone to that story because Forget Me Not essentially does the same thing. He isn't in existence for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. He doesn't matter. But he gets to, yeah he's this uh, he gets to show that David David's ending saying that I'm choosing not to be part of this world anymore is not all a sad thing like it's not just a tragedy and I think it's very important that this is the true end of Cyspurrier's run on uh, X Men Legacy. Well, and that speaks to such a, you know, why, why he's such a good writer is that, you know, he obviously ended the story with Legion the way he wanted to, but then he still gets to touch upon the themes of ontologically, you know, this character being a a, a quandary, uh, but he does it with a completely different character um, in a different scenario that then harkens back to huge arcs of a, a story that he didn't write. And it's still really, really successful and emotionally affecting. Yeah. Um, it's real good. Where, where should we rank this? I, I think this is a very, very successful standalone so issue. I'm looking, what I'm looking for is what I know this is better than. I know this is better than okay. that sinister arc of Avengers versus X-Men. I know it's better than what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires, which is a story I do love. So mm-hmm. I know it's up high and I don't know where. I think it's better than Avenge the Earth at number 18. Like for me, but this is also a story that's touching on, frankly, an X-Men continuity circle jerk and a really <laughs> cool character drama, which is the stuff that works for me in X-Men. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good place to put it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I would hesitate putting it above Inferno New Mutants because that's just such like a, a canonical mm-hmm. touchstone, um, you know, but I, I'm okay with putting it right, right above Avenge the Earth. I think that's probably a good spot for it because this is an amazing standalone Yeah, like mission. guys, you'll get a lot out of this if you've read at least from the Mike Carey run and on of X-Men Legacy, which by the way, the numbering doesn't make any sense technically <laughs> everything that's x-men legacy started with x-men volume two uh but then there were also i think either two or three volumes of adjectiveless x-men in that same time that x-men legacy was running so how you count what i don't really know <laughs> that's okay it doesn't need to make sense. That kind of fits in. Long the story theme of short, the book too. read this one shot. You'll get a lot out of it if you've been reading a lot yeah. of X Men comics. If you haven't, you'll get a really good, enjoyable story about a fascinating character and someone who shouldn't, unlike Eva, he shouldn't be used all the time. But I'm gonna buy any book he's in. No, <laughs> it's great when he pops oh, back. In it's great. That's good. That's our new number eighteen. And after a go. marathon session, we have three done. So that that was nice. awesome. Thank you again to all of our Patreon supporters like Katie who put in to get this story ranked. If you want to join their, you know, 
the legion of Patreon followers we have. Go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. If you donate at the $2 level, you get an entire episode crafted around uh, a suggestion of your choice. So that's a lot of fun. You also uh, can go over to XavierFiles.com, which is where we have all of our episodes just everywhere, including things like uh, just whatever I'm writing for the week. Uh, We got a bunch of fun stuff there. Go check it out. Or follow me on Twitter at XavierFiles. Hey, Adam, where can people find you online? Well, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, and I've got new pages of Bish and Jubes coming up every Monday on adamreck.tumblr.com. I think by the time this airs, there'd be at least one of the crazier reveals um, in the issue. So I hope you guys dig that. Oh yeah, no, that's the next, that's the next one that goes up as we record this and I can't wait. <laughs> so there's more, there's more zany stuff to come. So, uh, stay tuned. And, uh, Zach, did I hear you correctly that by the time this airs, we, we might actually be able to be getting a hold of the Xavier file zine. Yes. So, the zine is available digitally right now. Yeah, you can go. There's a link on my website, but if not, uh, we'll throw it in the episode notes. Uh, you go to the Gumroad page. For digital, you can pay $0. It's absolutely free. You can pay what you want for whatever, but I encourage people, don't worry about buying it. Just just like pick it up and enjoy some of the best X-Men fan stuff out there because it's great. So you can uh, you can pick up that, or if you want a physical copy, pre-orders are done now, but you can still get. I have a handful of physical copies uh, still available that I'll ship out to you. Uh, it's at ten dollars, and that really covers costs. As this dwindles down, we may do a print or you know a print-on-demand stuff for some of this stuff, and we will uh, start to figure that out. But it's an incredibly fun project. I am so just overwhelmed by the amount of cool stuff that was in it so go check it out you have literally nothing to lose but that uh that kind of does it for this episode so adam did 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 we have a good time was it was this a good episode this is an amazing episode uh you know and i feel like we probably could have kept talking but i I think we did a good job of, of transitioning from one to the next right so uh, next week, we continue being the only epi- or only X-Men podcast that talks exclusively about one arc of the Brian Michael Bendis run. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're actually talking about a different Brian Michael Bendis comic uh, because all of next week is based around Ultimate Spider-Man 66 and 67, Jump the Shark. Until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!